2: And on today's show, we're talking about equity. More specifically, we're talking about what happens to your shares when the company you work for suddenly goes private. As you can imagine, the news surrounding Elon Musk's offer to purchase Twitter and the board's subsequent decision to accept that offer has caused quite a stir in the broader tech community. And regardless of what you think about Elon's political views and his concerns about censorship versus free speech, this purchase will certainly have. Some pretty big ramifications for the people who work there. And as you can also imagine, I've received several messages on Twitter and LinkedIn and spoken to a handful of journalists over the past few weeks all about the impact Elon taking the company private will have on Twitter employees and their equity compensation. And I figured if that many people in the virtual world are this curious and or concerned, this is likely a conversation worth turning into a full episode. So that's what we'll be discussing today. Along with my producer, Eric with an A, I'll talk through the details of the Twitter buyout and use it as a case study for what generally happens to employees and their equity when a company decides to take itself private. So with that, Eric with an A, why don't you get us started, sir? Well, I'm going to be very forthright and honest with you, Malcolm.
3: Um, You're dealing with a completely blank slate in this issue because (laughs) I did not. Seriously, I had no idea that a company could go private. From public, yeah. I, I've always heard, oh, the company's going public, company's going public is a big huge deal. Obviously, I've learned a ton from you, but I never knew that that was even an option. So that's number one. Number two, I'm on Reddit, right? I, I jump onto Reddit. That's a a forum that I frequent. I enjoy it. However, yeah. this whole Elon Musk stuff, I have been avoiding because of all the different. I mean, I don't like getting into the political, you know, banter and all the barrage of people's opinions and it just seems like a it's frustrating to me so i'm like i have yeah. no idea exactly what's going on so my first question is why why is elon musk buying twitter such a big deal in the first place yeah
2: well you know what before i even answer the question you just asked let me make sure to throw in the disclaimer that as of the recording of this episode elon musk is still on track and still supposed to be buying twitter for 44 billion dollars gotcha Who knows by the time we actually release (laughs) this episode where things will be because everything in the orbit of Elon Musk is so volatile. And I thought about that. But then I also decided that because this is as important as it is to your point, not a ton of people are familiar with companies going private. We all have heard about IPO day, IPO day, IPO Mm -hmm. day. It's still probably worth just discussing it as a case study and not necessarily the Elon Musk side of it, right? So to your point, it's a big deal because of the substantial price tag for one. As I mentioned, Elon offered $44 billion and the board accepted it, right? So for context, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post a few years back. That was a big deal at the time. This is something like 175 times the amount he bought the Washington Post for. Think about how much Jeff Bezos' net worth is, right, or was at point you know, back then when he bought the post for $250 million, that 250 represented a few bucks to you and me, right? It was pocket change. This was pre divorce Jeff Bezos, right? Who was the richest man in the world with a net worth over, you know, $100 billion or whatever. So this $44 billion represents a much more significant portion of Elon Musk's overall net worth. So that's just for context. That's why this is such a big deal. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, when you were saying that, I was picturing myself,
3: you know, I, I go up to my dresser real quick and I search rummage through my dresser drawer, my side table drawer to find that 20, 25 bucks for Jimmy John's, right. right? Right. I kind of picture them doing the same thing. They're rummaging in their drawers. Oh, there's, a, well, there's a $250 million. Oh, there, oh, there's that, you know, $2 billion I'm going to spend on, you know, whatever. I I don't know what that looks like when they rummage or how big their drawers are, but, uh, yeah, that that's. Uh, that's 250, kind of that $250
2: million, you have some pretty big drawers.
3: <laughs> You've got pretty big drawers to film. Okay, so anyway, yeah. um, so investors usually borrow, right? Yeah. They just borrow most of the money they need when they take a company private. I get that. But now I understand that Elon actually is going to be paying himself somehow. So how much of the $44 billion is Elon actually paying himself in this situation?
2: Yeah, so that's also what makes this thing uh, such a big deal or so unique. Of the $44 billion that, that Elon's committed to purchase Twitter, He's Mm -hmm. personally responsible for about thirty three billion dollars of it. So through loans and then also his own cash, he's bringing to the table. He's personally responsible for a lot right to your point in a a leveraged buyout. The private equity firm acquiring the company usually only puts up about 10 percent or so of Hmm. the total price tag. Then they go to banks and institutional lenders and borrow the remaining 90 percent, hence The leverage in the term leveraged buyout, right? Elon's doing the inverse. The company wasn't worth much to any bank, you know, any bank worth anything. Let me say that they were only willing to put up 12 billion or so. So Elon had no choice but to dip into his own piggy bank or his own dresser drawers to come up with the rest and it's also worth mentioning here that you know Elon will be borrowing against his Tesla shares to come up with a significant portion of the capital right he's not mm-hmm. bringing a bag with 33 billion dollars in cash to the closing table he's leveraging the value of his shares which have appreciated significantly over the time cuz You know, he's had a super low basis in Tesla stock since forever. So the moral of the story here of my rant, my diversion, I just went on real quick, is that it pays to be a billionaire, right? If if you take nothing else away from this episode, you should take away that it pays to be a billionaire. I already knew that.
3: (laughs) I need to, I'm here to learn new things, man. So so speaking of which, let's take a step back because I don't even, I don't understand what it means to take
2: a public company private. So what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's almost exactly as it sounds. A public company is one that, you know, they've gone through an IPO or some other event where they were listed on a public stock exchange, meaning their shares are owned by several million individual and institutional investors. And then all of their relevant financial information must be disclosed to the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as their shareholders every quarter. Right. So that's the basis of being public and the part that everybody uh, tries to shy away from for as long as they can before IPO. Then on the flip side, a private company is the one that's owned by one or very few individuals or institutions. Right. And so almost nothing about the company and its financial in its financial position um, is ever public. Hence the reason we work was able to lie about its losses for so long before yeah. uh, filing to go public and getting exposed. Right. That's why a lot of these tech unicorn companies defer going public as long as possible. Um, but then also for a private company, ownership connotes control. So in the case of a public company, again, the shareholders, you and I generally have control over who serves on the board and they're able they are able to determine who the CEO is going to be. Right. CEO serves at the behest of the board. Everybody's got somebody to be accountable to in a private company. Ownership is control. So if Elon is the sole owner, he's also able to be the judge, jury and executioner. Right. If he wants me off the platform for personal reasons, my account can be suspended tomorrow morning, and there's nothing I can say or do about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, this is something we'll certainly get into, you know, a bit more in a moment. But uh, he also has more control over employees individually, as the owner of a private company. And he'll personally appoint the CEO, for example, right. And he'll personally eliminate whole departments. And leaders of those departments, I'm sure, just because he feels like it. he's already kind of tipped his hand at who he's tweeting about, you know, currently at the company, those sorts of things.
3: So, again, this is all a little bit confusing. But what happens to, like, the 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 shareholders? So, if, if mm-hmm. I own shares of Twitter, or especially employees, because I know that that's what you you really talk a lot about on this podcast, is mm-hmm. um, somebody uh, an employee that has shares what happens they get just paid
2: out or what well it would look just like you know if another bigger company was acquiring twitter right if if you own Slack before uh salesforce announced mm-hmm. their plans to buy them you receive the equivalent number of shares in salesforce stock to your slack shares right based on the agreed upon share price of slack at the time they close the deal in this case since it's an acquisition for cash instead of stock you as a shareholder would receive $54.20 for every share you own, right? Hmm. If you decide to hold on to those shares all the way through the acquisition, you'd see the equivalent cash show up in your brokerage account a few days after the deal close and that Twitter stock would disappear from your list of investments in your brokerage account. So what's also interesting to me is, you know, this will happen to all of the institutional owners of Twitter stock. So let's say a mutual fund, who owns a hundred million dollars worth of Twitter stock, they'll receive a check for a hundred million dollars that day. And then what, what other company or companies will they go out and buy with all that cash? If the market, you know, still down when the deal closes, will they get some other tech company or even some other social media company at a, you know, a pretty steep discount with all that Twitter money? Like clearly I'm just speculating here, but as a money nerd, like, I think that'll be interesting to watch play out Mm -hmm. as well as a, as an investor. So does
3: uh, it, it, does the price fluctuate from the time that they say, Hey, you know, he's buying it to, I'm I'm assuming it's, it's still moving around, but when is it locked in? When is the price locked in? Because you said once they purchase, if they, Mm -hmm. if they hold all the way till, you know, close or whatever, then they're going to just, it's going to disappear and they get the money. Right. But the the stock itself disappears. Is it wiser to try to get out of your Twitter shares now or,
2: you know, hold on until the very end of the, the rope? Yeah, that's a good question. So I mentioned $54.20 is what you would get in exchange for the Twitter shares you own when this when this thing commences. That's because the $44 billion that Elon Musk offered is the equivalent of $54.20. So I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, the $54.20 price or $44 billion because it's got 420 smacked on the end of it, I have to assume that's an Elon Musk. Haha, ha, funny, funny. But either way, that's what you ultimately end up with. If you decide to take this ride all the way, you know, to, to the day that it closes got it. in between there, if I were if for whatever reason, Twitter would have a bad day in the market, and I was able to pick up the shares for like $45.20. Let's say I know that I've got $10 of what's called deal premium built in there where i'm guaranteed to get ten dollars if this deal closes you know at the end of this year like it's supposed to and Mm. so on the flip side people may say well if all i'm going to get is ten dollars per share whatever percentage that represents for you as a gain i'd be better off buying xyz company in the meantime who stands a much better chance to get me more return between now and the end of the year I'm just going to sell my shares today at the price that I know, you know, I can get, Mm -hmm. go buy whoever and take that ride instead. And so it's just a matter of what your preference is, what your risk profile is, all that kind of stuff that'll determine whether it makes sense to you to jump off the ship today for a known known, or hang in there. uh, Or no, I said that the other way around. Sorry, I was trying to. Quote George Bush and got lost in my reference. <laughs> if you want to hang in there today for a known known, or sell, jump off the ship today and go for a known unknown.
3: Got it. Okay. Well, let's shift gears a little bit because I, I have questions yeah. about the employees. Right? How will their lives change as a result of the the, the overall acquisition?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a deep, heavy, loaded question. Um, But I'll say, uh, you know, I'll reiterate how I started this right personal and political views aside. Right. And without speculating about how Elon will change the content moderation strategies and the potential he could relocate the headquarters or require workers to all start showing up in person instead of remotely like they've been doing all that kind of stuff aside. This could have substantial financial impact uh, on the employees with, you know, the company going private. There's no longer the inducement of equity to make folks want to come and work Mm -hmm. there. Right. That Mm -hmm. means they'll have to rely solely on salary and cash bonuses to compensate folks. And that may or may not be all that attractive since the trend for tech companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere is so equity heavy. Right. Like Tesla. I mean, Tesla Twitter employees right now get paid more than 50 percent most of them at least, more than 50% of their total compensation every year is made up of equity. So really, more than 50% of their compensation is tied to whatever the stock price is month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. And so that's such a culture shift that that could, you know, ruffle quite a few feathers. We'll see. Okay. So let's talk about that. Cause I mean, we, we talked
3: about, you know, regular folk, you know, non- yep. non-employees who have shares, but now that they have equity or they have shares, what happens to that?
2: Yeah. So similar to, uh, the example I gave before where you and I get bought out at a, uh, a fixed price, basically in a cash acquisition, everything gets sold, your options, your restricted stock units and any shares you bought through the uh, employee stock purchase plan. It's the same as what happens with, you know, regular people's shares. So Twitter stock will disappear everywhere and be replaced by cash. At a payout of $54.20 a share. So for easy math, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example here. If you're a Twitter employee and you have, say, a thousand shares sitting in your Charles Schwab uh, brokerage account, and I'm using them by name since that's who administers Twitter stock plan, uh, you'd receive a deposit of $54,000. trying to do math live and it just (laughs) into your Schwab brokerage account, right? When the deal closes. So $54,200 for your 1000 shares, you're pretty much being forced to accept uh, a lot of cash at one time, whether you like it or not. That's, that's Mm -hmm. really how it goes. And there really isn't anything you can do about it, but at least you're free to buy other stocks or Transfer that cash out to whatever bank account you want. I guess it's kind of the silver lining here if you were a person who was wanting to diversify away and Couldn't because you know, you had it all in Twitter and had to keep it there All right, so and I don't know I don't know Twitter's uh,
3: structure, but most companies have a, a, a timeline for vesting, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Folks that maybe they they've been hired within the last year and they're you know they're not fully vested. What what happens to that if they're not vested yet?
2: Yeah. So uh, I'll throw the disclaimer out there again. This this or I guess a new disclaimer. This might be different depending on what company you work for. Mm-hmm. Every company is different. They write these plans up differently. So I don't want to you know make a blanket statement. But in the case for Twitter employees. As far as our example goes, uh, they're using something referred to as accelerated vesting. So if you're a person whose shares typically follow a four year vesting timetable, as an example, and you're only, say, two years into that vesting requirement, you've been at the company a couple of years and haven't gotten there yet. That means you've already been issued half of the shares you were old, say, right? So four year contract been there two years. The other shares you're old should be paid out to you over the next 2 years. In this case, they're going to accelerate your vesting to the closing date of mm. the sale and they're going to pay you out in cash as one lump sum based on the agreed upon share price of the deal, which in this case we know to be uh, $54.24 for every share you would have been entitled to. So, an interesting issue to watch out uh for here is whether Twitter makes any attempts to appease the employees who receive shares above the fifty four twenty purchase price at any point. Like if you were a person who was already at the company back in 2020, 2021, when the market was on fire and tech stocks were climbing every day, you may have received a a lot or a, a trunch, as we say, of shares with the price in the 70s. That means you're already a little annoyed looking at your statement every quarter and now you're worried that your upside has been capped in the other shares you received and were you know, holding on for their long term potential. So if I'm a person who, you know, maybe I was looking at the door before this whole Elon Musk saga began. And the only thing that was keeping me here was the fact that I still had a year or two to vest the remainder of my shares. This is great news. I get bought out You know, at the end of the year when the deal closes. I brought up I ride off into the sunset. Elon has sort of unintentionally put me out of my misery in that instance. Right. So it's bad news for some is also good news for others, right? Like Twitter's former CEO Jack Dorsey, when this thing closes again, another diversion here, but whatever, he's going to make almost a billion dollars personally based on his outstanding Twitter stock. The current CEO, I mean, he won't have nearly that big a payday, but I believe he's owed somewhere close to like forty million dollars. Right. Still not chump change. That's not Not uh, in my dresser drawers, you know, Jimmy (laughs) John's money. Right. Like so for some people, this is like a really good thing for other people. It's you know, maybe it's on the fence. And for others, it's it's like I came here for the stock. Now that the mm-hmm. stock doesn't exist, what do I do? So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out.
3: Well, you never know. They might just buy all of the Jimmy Johns. Yeah, <laughs> that, that could be Jimmy John's money. Just all of them. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> all right. So we've talked about dresser drawers full of cash yeah. and getting paid out. Right. So whether they're employees or whether it's, it's a you know, common person who just owns Twitter, we always have to talk about taxes. You know, so yeah. do. Unfortunately. Do, Yeah. Right. This is, this is the fun part of the podcast. Everybody Uh, do, do I have to pay taxes on any of the money? Uh, since I don't actually ask Elon Musk to buy my shares, he's just forcing it upon me.
2: That is a uh, a fair question that the IRS has zero sympathy for. So you can probably get you can probably get where I'm going. We'll just they consider the that IRS to be, next, and be, be done with I, w- it. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he tried. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the IRS would consider this a high class problem. Let me say it that way. So under normal circumstances, RSUs, restricted stock units, are taxed as ordinary income, right, in the year that they vest and they get delivered into your brokerage account, right. In this case, it's similar in that the check you're going to receive, you know, or really the lump sum deposit you receive in 2022. Nobody writes checks anymore, but it's treated as ordinary income and reported on your W-2 right along with your regular salary and bonus. So it's important for folks to recognize that in this particular year, they are likely to have a significantly larger tax bill due compared to what they're used to, unless, you know, The company withholds enough of this payment to account for the increased income, which is a whole other can of worms. I won't open up on this episode, but I would just say, you know, if you happen to be in this position, whether you work for Twitter or somewhere else going through a similar situation, call your accountant and discuss it long before the check shows up. Right. You got plenty of time based Mm -hmm. on the time that this is going to get released and the deal is expected to close, you know, in the last two months of the year. Plenty of time to work through this. So. Call up your accountant. Be proactive and figure out what that larger check is going to mean for you.
3: Yeah. Well, you just actually alluded to the next thought that I had, and that's that, you know, it's not just Twitter uh, employees that are listening to this podcast, but but we do thank you for listening, Twitter employees. <laughs> Continue to listen and share. Yeah. But um, it's not just them. So, what if there's somebody working for a company and they're concerned about the same thing happening uh, to them? how would they know whether the company is going to buy their shares like Twitter's doing, or is there another option? Is there something else a company can do?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said, every company is different, right? They write, they all write these documents up differently because their attorneys tell them to right? Everybody's attorney advises them differently. I guess Mm. is how I should say it. So it's tough to answer that with a broad brush, but I will say every employee's uh, equity agreement contains a section titled something like change in control, quote unquote, like literally, Look for those words. control F and search for those words, change in control, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the part of the plan document that describes exactly what is to happen in different events that lead to a change in control, whether it's through an acquisition like this or a merger or a bankruptcy or an IPO or whatever else. It's spelled out pretty clearly in that uh, equity agreement that you signed before they issued you your uh, lot of shares
3: okay well that makes sense Malcolm this has been fantastic we are getting you know toward the end of our normal time yeah Uh, but here's the thing you're the man you are the guy that works with folks in these types of situations all the time right and and you've got your financial planner hat on so (laughs) while you have it on what other helpful tidbits do you have and do you want to
2: throw in there before we wrap this up uh at the risk of making it even more wonky because I feel like that's what it's been this whole time (laughs) um I would just reiterate, you know, that it's important to start planning this out the moment you find out there's a significant liquidity event like this coming your way. Right. I just mentioned the tax withholding on the increased income and the impact that's going to have, you know, potentially pushing you up into the next tax bracket, even or in some people's cases, you know, based on what I've seen Twitter employees discussing on Twitter already, it's going to push some people up from, you know, middle tax brackets to the very top. Um, Mm. all in one year unexpectedly, right? But there are some things you you may be able to do in in conjunction with your accountant and your financial planner to at least mitigate that tax bill. You're going to pay some taxes, right? Let me not set anybody up for failure that way and tell you there's a way I got a magic pill that's going to help you not have to pay taxes on hundreds of thousands of additional income, you know, in one year. But, you know, For example, you know, we did an episode last year on the donor advised fund as a way to maximize, you know, the benefit Mm -hmm. of charitable gifts. Right. If you give your planning team a heads up far enough in advance, they may be able to set up something like that for you. But it can't happen if you wait until like December 24th when everybody's out of the office and with their family and then call asking, you know, what can we do? The answer is nothing at that point. The answer Mm -hmm. is just pay the taxes and gripe about it to your friends. But. If you are proactive, the announcement's been made, the share price has been announced. And so it's simple math. How many shares do you have outstanding versus fifty four twenty? Take that with you to your accountant and your financial planner and say, what do we do? And let them then do their job from there. Right. But the sooner you get working on that, the better it's going to be. The outcome is going to be for for you. So that's that's probably the one piece of advice I would have that we didn't already, you know, dig into on here.
3: Malcolm, I'm going to give the folks some contact information as I close this out. But is there any other contact information you want to
2: give them in case they want to reach out to you and ask more questions? Well, I hope by now folks know that they can find us at podcast at tech-money.com. Um, and I'm on social media at Malcolm on Money. Um, but beyond that, I think the usual, uh, the usual closing will do. Well, Let me do it. Here we go. Thank you so much, Malcolm. And of
3: course, thank you, the listener, for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review, as this will help others find the show. Like Malcolm said, you can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money.
1: This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you.